John, thank you. <laughs> I always, always like being introduced. You always feel like you sound better than you really are. <laughs> it is a pleasure to be with you this morning. And I want to talk about something that's very important, particularly to me, but more important to God. And it's how each and every one of us lives our life in a daily manner. And before I get into that, I just want to say it's been a pleasure to get to know Brian and Angela. Uh, they've, we've also been to their house. I, I do like to smoke barbecue, so if you want to be friends with me, let me know. We'll, we'll have a, <laughs> some barbecue together. Um, but they've been a real joy. You're blessed to have a couple like that here at this church. I can tell you that. And so I'm thankful and, and grateful to be here. Uh, I want to even say why I'm especially grateful. Last Sunday afternoon, I also have a church that I've started in Stanford, Connecticut. And uh, we just baptized three people. We're portable. So we needed a church to do our baptism. And we did it right here, right behind us this past Sunday. So that was neat. Yeah. So you have been a blessing to us. And I'm thankful for that. A few years ago, some of my team members, I used to oversee church planning in New York. Uh, one of the team members, his name was Steve Allen. And we were at a conference in Phoenix, and his dream was always to climb uh, and the Grand Canyon. So I think that's a pretty crazy idea, but that's what he always wanted to do. And so he studied all the trail maps and decided to attempt a 16-mile trail that would take him to the bottom of the canyon and back. So he arrived at the canyon at 1 o'clock in the morning. He slept for about three hours, and then he began his challenging hike at 4 o'clock in the morning. Focused on his goal, he kept this hurried pace, pausing just a few minutes just to see the sunrise come up. For part of his journey, an Australian man joined him. But at the brisk pace, he decided he would just turn around and go back from where he came. It was too much. He finally made it to the bottom of the canyon in just three and a half hours. The first thing he did was put his hot feet into the cold, rushing Colorado River. Victory, at least in his mind. And after catching his breath and changing his wet socks, he started the ascent. It wasn't long before he realized this is going to be a lot harder going up. <laughs> and so for the first few hours, he began the ascent hiking by himself. Eventually, he was welcomed by a group of people on mules that were descending into the canyon. When he left for the hike in the morning, it was 50 degrees. Now the temperature had surpassed 100 degrees. Exhausted yet determined to finish, he deployed this strategy. He said to himself, you know, keep looking up. Keep looking up. And so don't get dis discouraged by, by how tired I feel or how exhausted I feel. Just keep looking to the top rim of the canyon and don't look back. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep moving. He kept going until he could finally see the top rim of the canyon and people milling around. When he saw that, he was excited. His goal was finally now in sight. And he said, you know, I'm excited. However, now I'm feeling desperation because as I look at the rim of the canyon, the people look about this big. <laughs> I have a long ways to go. 
He said, if I had not kept my eyes focused on the top, I would just quit. I had no more energy, and the trail just seemed too daunting for me. Yet, Steve, he did arrive at the top 12 hours from the time that he started his mission. Now, in the same way, you and I, we have a mission. God's given us a mission. And every one of us has a short time on this earth to be able to complete the mission that he's given you and me. And nearing the end of Jesus' ministry and earthly life, he prays to his heavenly father. You'll see the screen behind me. It's here in John chapter 17. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Later on, he says, as you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. I ask for those who will believe in me through my word. Another translation says, I pray for everyone who believe in me because of the message. If you have your Bible, you might want to look at this passage in John chapter 17 and just circle or highlight this word sent. It's a very important word, S-E-N-T. You and I have been sent by God on a mission into the world to help people know the message of Jesus Christ. And this is your mission. This is it. This is what you've been called by God to do. And this is your mission as a church. And stated so clearly in the epic Blues Brothers movie, we're on a mission from God. John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Notice the word again. In John 17, Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he tells the disciples that they are now about to be sent on a mission. In John chapter 20, Jesus has already risen from the dead, and now he's appearing to the disciples, and he says the exact same thing about being sent on his mission. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you repeat things just so that you can emphasize it? All right, any hands? You can raise your hand if you want to. All right, I know this is true if you've ever had children, right? It's like, did you hear me? Do I have to say this again? This is really important. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm about to die. I need to tell you the most important thing. He resurrects from the dead. He goes, I have one more thing I have to tell you. This is really important. Don't miss it. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, what are we sent to do? What is our mission? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. It's in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Here it is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Another version says it this way, the most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do, to tell people about the good news of God's grace. You know what I like? I like a simple mission. I don't like anything complex. I like to understand what I'm doing 
And here it is laid out not only by Jesus, but the Apostle Paul himself saying, your mission is to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know that some people think that their life mission is something different. Some people think that their mission is success. That's the greatest mission. So you give your life to that. You live your life for accumulating wealth and status and financial security. You know, others say, well, you know, your mission in life is, it's all about your personal happiness. Live for yourself. Live for the things that bring you joy and pleasure. Some people know, they say, your life mission is all about excitement for the latest challenges and thrills that you can experience. Kind of live life on the edge. Yet others will say, no, I'll tell you what your life mission is. It's all about relationships. It's all about people, right? It's building great friendships and enjoying your family. Now, once you know all those things, there's nothing inherently wrong about them. But that doesn't describe what your mission is in life. That's just not your mission. Jesus didn't send you into the world for your own personal pursuits. When you and I eventually stand before God, and we will, he's not going to say to you, wow, I was really impressed by how much money you made. He's not going to say that. He's not going to say, wow, all those cool trips and adventures that you took. Wow, amazing. You impressed me. No, he's not going to say that. He's not going to say, wow, I couldn't believe how many friends you had on Instagram and Facebook. (laughs) Man, that just blew me away. No, I don't think God's going to say that. You know what he's going to say? He's going to say, did you complete my mission? Did you do what I asked you to do? The most important thing of telling other people the good news about my grace. When you get to heaven, will anyone say thank you? Will anyone say thank you for sharing the good news with them? You know, in the next 365 days, 55 million people in the world will die. Most of them will go into an eternity without knowing Jesus Christ. In the next 365 days, over 2.6 million Americans will die, and most of them will go into an eternity without Jesus Christ. This year, roughly 30,000 people in Connecticut will die, and many of them will go into eternity without Jesus Christ. Those numbers are almost too difficult to bear. Millions of people need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ right here in the Northeast. You live in one of the most unchurched, lost areas of all the country. If we care, we have to be on his mission. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to give you some simple handles, some things that you can do to make sure that you're aligned with his message of telling people the good news of Christ. Number one, here it is. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. When you were born, many of you received physical eyesight. When you were born spiritually or born again, you received a new set of eyes, spiritual eyes. And God wants you to open your spiritual eyes so that you can see what he sees. There's an unseen part of reality that you will never see 
unless your spiritual eyes are open. When we tap into what God sees, his perspective and his viewpoint changes everything. John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus says, Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. If I could do a paraphrased version, it would sound something like this. Hey, guys, are you kidding me? There's so many people who are ready to receive me right now. People are crazy interested in knowing about me. They just need someone to go and tell them. It's more people than you could ever realize. Often we, we think and we even act as if nobody's interested in knowing about Jesus. That's somehow that no one wants to hear the good news, so we just kind of keep it to ourselves. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The reality is the harvest is so plentiful that he needs more people living on his mission. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 to 38, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Compassion meaning he was, he was greatly moved inside. Emotionally, he was moved. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I want you to think about this word in the beginning of this passage where it says saw. He didn't just see a large group of people milling and standing around. He saw their spiritual condition. And because he saw that, he was moved with compassion. You see, whenever God opens your eyes, then that's the kind of thing that will happen to you. You will see more than just the physical realities around you. And your heart will break for those who are close to you, those who are in your neighborhood, those who are in your community, those who are in your workplace. You'll never see them the same again when you open your eyes. You'll see how helpless and spiritually lost they really are. And when you see that, it will move you and burden you. You see, the spiritual opportunities are all around you. That's what Jesus said. So let me ask you this question. What do you see? If you can't see the spiritual realities around you, I want you to pray. Even pray right now where you're at. Just say, Lord, will you open my eyes so that I can see what you see? You need to open your eyes and then you need to listen to God. Listen to God. There's a little less known prophet in the Bible. He's one of my favorites. His name is Habakkuk. Now, I think I have issues with my name, Hal Haller. I can't believe my parents did that to me, right? <laughs> but I'm thankful I'm not Habakkuk, okay? But in his story, it becomes obvious that he needs to hear from God. He's not sure what's going on or what he should do. So he says this in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will station myself. Simply stated, he decides to stay put. He's not even going to move. He's going to be completely still 
until he hears from God. Now, listen. God speaks to the person who will take the time to just listen. You have to hear from God. You open your eyes and God will show you the need. Then you open your ears so that he can tell you specifically what it is that he wants you to do. John chapter 14, 31 says, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Another version puts it this way. I'm carrying out my father's instructions right down to the last detail. I kind of like that paraphrased version. To the last detail, he only does what his father tells him to do. To me, that's an amazing scripture. Wouldn't it be cool if that scripture were a description of you and me? We only did exactly what Jesus wanted us to do on earth, even to the last detail. May it be so. How was it possible that Jesus fulfilled his heavenly father, what he asked? You know how he did it? He listened to the instructions, and then he was obedient, and he carried it out. You might say, well, I'm not sure if God's ever spoken to me, ever directed me. So listen real carefully here. One of the characteristics of a follower of Jesus Christ is their ability to listen to God. Did you know that? John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. The reason why we don't hear God oftentimes is we're just busy, busy doing our thing. Hurry is the death of prayer. So do what Habakkuk does. Station yourself. I am not going to move. I am not going to do anything until God speaks to me and tells me what I'm supposed to do. And your mind and your heart are clear and free for God to speak to you, to whatever it is he's asking you to do. And trust me, if you do that, it will probably be a little scary because he'll probably ask you to do something that you don't think you're capable of. He may direct you to do something that might make you feel uncomfortable. And trust me, it'll be okay because God will work in you and through you to see it accomplished. So open your eyes. Open your ears. Listen. Thirdly, act in faith. Act in faith. If your eyes and ears are open, it's just a matter of time before God does tell you what to do. And it will be bigger than you expect. It will be. And it's probably going to be scary, and it might be a little bit overwhelming. And by the way, that's really good because it will make you dependent upon him, and it will require you to take a step of faith. If you're going to complete God's mission on earth, God needs to know, are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to step out in faith and obey him? You know, God had a mission for Abraham, but he didn't give him all the details in advance. Now, I know some of us, we love the details. We, we want to know everything before we make a decision. But sometimes God doesn't give you all the details. Sometimes he just says, trust me, step out in faith and take a risk. Hebrews 11, 
chapter 8, or excuse me, verse 8 says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him. And he went without knowing where he was going. Can you imagine that? No GPS. No map. No specific instruction. Go. Abraham is 75 years old. He's not a spring chicken here. He's coming to the end of his life. He's got a wonderful retirement plan. Then God says, I'm going to take you and turn you into the father of a brand new nation. So I want you to pack up and I want you to go to a new country. Abraham says, okay, God, where are we going? And God says, well, you've never heard of this place. Abraham says, okay, well, how long is it going to take to get there? And God says, well, don't worry about it. And Abraham says, well, okay, well, how will I know when I actually get there? And God says, I'll tell you when you get there. Now, let me ask you, would you do that? Yes. <laughs> Faith always involves risk. It always involves not knowing everything. Are you going to do it your way and play it safe? Or are you going to trust him completely? You see, trusting is the only way to please God. It's the only way to fulfill the mission of telling other people the good news of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11:6. Hebrews 11 is my favorite chapter in all the Bible. It says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Uh, this is what I call the risk and reward principle. Take a risk, trust him, and then watch God reward you for your faith. Taking risk means you're going to have to be courageous. You're going to have to move in the face of fear. Following Jesus on his mission, I'm going to tell you, it's not for the faint of heart. It isn't. But when you step out in faith, he is going to show you that he is God. He will prove it to you. Faith always involves risk. So I want to ask you this. What are you courageously trusting God for right now? What is it that's way beyond you, more, more scary, more overwhelming, but you know God's saying, I need you to do this. He's shown you, you've heard it, he's asked you to move out in faith. Are you taking the step? Are you taking the risk? Open your eyes. Listen to God. Act in faith. And finally... Don't give up. Amen. Don't give up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, the key for, phrase here is steadfast, or also interpreted to stand firm. Don't stop living out the mission. Give yourself fully to his work. I have two children. I have a son and a daughter. And my daughter has graduated from college and my son is in his last year of seminary. But when my son was eight years old, I, I went by his bedside and I went to read him a story. <clears throat> and uh, that particular day, I was discouraged. And I was thinking about, honestly, giving up on the mission that God had given me. 
I was tired and it was hard and it was stressful and I was ready to throw the towel in. And just like God would do, as I get ready to tell him the story, he says, Dad, he says, you can't give up. I said, what? <laughs> what did you say? He says, Dad, you can't give up. I said, I can't give up what? He says, you can't give up telling other people about Jesus. My eight-year-old kid, he says, the Lord is counting on you. You can't give up. And then he said, one day you're going to die. I'm like, I hope it's not anytime soon. He says, one day you're going to die, and I'm going to take over. But until then, you're not going to give up. When he spoke to me, it was as if God were speaking to me directly. Then he said, don't worry, you aren't going to die anytime soon. It does. <laughs> now, let's be honest. Some of you might be at the quitting point. You're ready to give up. You're stressed out. You just want to play it safe. Just mind your own business. You're ready to give up on God's mission because maybe some bad things happen in your life. You just can't seem to get over it. You're ready to throw the towel in because you're tired or maybe you've been criticized. It just doesn't seem like it's worth it. Or you're ready to give up because it seems maybe God has not come through for you. Maybe you feel a bit disillusioned. Whatever the reason is, I just want to say this. That God brought you here today. He brought you here this morning so that he could say to you, don't give up. Don't do it. Keep believing. Keep obeying. Keep persisting. Don't let anything move you. The Bible says in Romans 12, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Another version puts it this way. Stay excited about your faith. Serve the Lord. And when you hope, be joyful. And when you suffer, be patient. And when you pray, be faithful. Listen, God will see you through. Don't give up. Living sin on his mission. What he asked us to do before he went to the cross and after he rose again. He knows it's going to be discouraging. That's why I emphasized it. The question you have to ask is, am I completing the mission that God's given me? I just want to say, according to Hebrews 11, there is a reward for those who finish. 25 years ago, Sharon and I started church in Miami, Florida. The goal was to get the good news of Jesus Christ into the hearts of the people who were lost in our community. And one Sunday, I met this, this lady. Her name was Danielle. And she'd been attending the church for several weeks by herself. So I said to her, I said, you know, I've noticed you've been coming to church, but I haven't seen your husband. And she said, well, my husband will never step foot into a church. I said to her, well, why don't you get involved in Our Lady small group and have the group start praying for your husband. And she, said, she agreed to that. And so that's what she did for over a year. Her husband, his name was Orly. <clears throat> and uh, her husband ran into one of our members of the church. 
Orly had known this member, his name was Manny, since elementary school. In the conversation, Manny invites Orly to come to church. And Orly immediately tells him, well, he's not a churchgoer, but because he liked Manny, he said, yeah, I'll, I'll come to a Sunday service. So Orly asked Manny, well, where do you go to church? He says, why? Well, I go to Living Hope Church. He says, I think I've heard of that church before. <laughs> Manny says, well, yeah, that's the church your wife's been going to for over a year. He said, okay, well, I guess we could go together. So Orly arrives late in the service, and he sits in the very back of the auditorium. After the service, he comes barreling down the, uh, the center aisle, right where I'm at. And he says excitedly, that was one, and I'll just say it this way, blankety-blank talk that you just gave. And I graciously thanked him. He said, you know, I'm not a churchgoer, and you won't ever see me again. I only came here because Manny asked me to come. And I said, okay, but I'm just coming for this day. And then off he went. The next Sunday, Orly shows up again. He sits in the very back of the auditorium. After the service, he makes a straight shot to where I'm standing. And he says, hey, I just want you to know, my wife asked me to come today. And because I didn't have anything else better to do, I decided to come with her. I said, great, fantastic. I'm just glad you came. <clears throat> the next Sunday, the third Sunday, I see him sitting again in the back of the auditorium. After the service, he's coming down the aisle, and he's about to say something to me, but I cut him off. I say, Orly, I know you're not a churchgoer, but this is the third time in a row you showed up, so I'll see you next week. <laughs> he, he just grinned and smiled, and after several months, Orly gave his life to Jesus Christ. Not long after, we baptized him in his own swimming pool. It was awesome. And this guy, man, he, he became hungry for God. And he joined one of our small groups. He started serving in a ministry. And a couple years later, he became a leader in our church. Our friendship deepened, and so did our spiritual partnership in the Lord. He owned several carpet stores, and periodically he would call me, and he'd say, hey, I want you to come down to the store. So I'd go and meet him. And he would open his desk drawer, and he'd pull out $1,000 to $2,000 in cash. He says, here, I want you to give this money to people who need it. I'm like, do you need a write-off? No, no, no. Just give it to someone who needs it. Do you want me to tell you who I'm helping? No, don't tell me any of the names of the people you help. I'm like, how do you know I'm not going to spend this money for myself, you know? He's like, well, because I know you, and you're going to give it away. And so periodically I had the joy of playing Santa Claus to people who were in real need and helping them. That was the kind of person Orly became when Christ came into his life. Now, our new church that we'd started was growing significantly, so we took on more staff and financial obligations, and then one of our pastors left, and so did about half the church. It wasn't a good experience. It was devastating, honestly. We always had this positive cash flow in the church, but now we were, we were really struggling financially. We rearranged our bills, pushed off payments until we couldn't do it any longer, and now it was the beginning of November, and I needed an additional $17,000 by the end of the month just to pay all the bills that we had set for the future. 
So I started praying. I mean, really praying. For several weeks, I found myself on the ground for long periods of time, just praying and calling out to God, God, you know what our situation is. I need you to come through for, for us. I don't know what else to do. Maybe you've been there before. And near the end of November, my assistant handed me a FedEx envelope. And she said to me, I think you're going to like what's inside. When I placed my hand in the envelope, there was only one thing. It was just a check. And the check was written for $17,000. No letter inside. Address from people I did not know. I was like, yes. Way to go, God. Thank you for coming through. I was ecstatic. And then under my breath, I said, God, you know we have to pay $25,000 more to end the church in the black in December. Can you do that? So knowing that it worked, being prostrate on the ground, I was on the ground again praying. God, you know that we need another $25,000. And every day I was praying. A couple weeks later, we got another FedEx package. And no letter inside, but another check. And for the check was for $25,000. And I want you to know, I didn't tell anybody how much we needed. I just told God, you know what we need. And he gave us what we needed. I'm like, I told my assistant, I don't know who these people are, but I, I need to know them. <laughs> I got to meet them. So the day arrived, she arranged it. This couple came to my, call, my office and I said to them, I, I got I to tell you a story. And they said, before you tell your story, we want to tell you a story. Ten years ago, our daughter, who knew the Lord, was going through a very rebellious time. And she started dating a guy that we did not approve of. And we did everything we could to persuade her to break up with him, but she wouldn't do it. Then we found out she ended up eloping with him. It wasn't even a month when we started receiving phone calls from her. She felt like she had made a mistake. She wanted to leave him. She discovered he was going to strip clubs, getting drunk, doing a number of other things. And we agonized over our daughter's condition. Eventually, she asked us if she could move back home. She was ready to leave him, but we said, no, we, we can't do that. We believed in the sacredness of marriage, and we just felt like we couldn't assist her in this way so that she could divorce him. We told her she had to make the marriage work. Of course, we hung up the phone, and we sobbed over our daughter's situation. She was so miserable. We decided we would pray for them and try to get her husband interested in spiritual things, so we would invite him to church, but he would always turn us down. We would invite him to a Bible study. He would always turn us down. We'd even ask him if we could pray over a meal. He wouldn't even permit it. Every possible attempt to try to get him down a spiritual pathway was immediately rejected. We eventually lost hope that he would ever change or ever come to know Jesus. Then we heard that he started attending a new church. We couldn't believe it. In fact, when we were with him, we never even brought it up because we were afraid we might mess it up and he'd stop going. 
Then one day he called us on the phone and told us something he had learned in a small group Bible study. We were flabbergasted. We almost fell over. Then he was telling us one day he was serving as an usher in the church. Then he told us he had formed a friendship with you and was now a leader in the church. There are no words we can express to thank you and this church for completely transforming our son-in-law, Orly. We heard that you have a desire to build a church. At that time, we were in rented facilities. So we'd like to give you a gift. Then they slid a check across the desk to me. I didn't really want to look at the, che the check, but I did take a quick peek at it. <laughs> and I saw the number 200. And, and initially I goes, well, that's nice, a $200 check. But there was a comma after the 200. It was a $200,000 check. The first thing I did is I exploded in tears. I couldn't thank them or God enough. Just really, two months ago, I was in, I was just completely broke. I, I didn't have anything. I didn't have the ability to pay off our debts as a church. And now with all bills paid, now there was two, a $200,000 check to put in the bank. And the first thing I did was cry. And the second thing I did was rush down to the bank to make sure the check was legit. <laughs> it was. God rewards those who will trust him. Several years later, I'd moved to Central Florida to start another church. My friend Orly called me to let me know that he had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. My friend Orly called me and said, hey, I want to see you. And, and so I said, okay. I came down, I saw him. And, and over the next 11 months, we, we would talk on the phone regularly. Then a friend called and said, hey, I want you to know Orly's not doing well. Doctors are saying he's going to die. So I drove down immediately to go see him. When I arrived, he hardly looked like the person that I knew. Cancer had totally disfigured his body. And the first thing he said to me was he said, Hal, the doctors are saying that I'm going to die soon. Can you answer me this question? Did I make a difference in my life? I said, Orly, are you kidding me? Yes. You absolutely did. When you gave your life to Jesus, you completely changed. You became one of the most generous serving people I know. You made a difference. And my friend Orly relaxed, sat back, and just smiled. I said goodbye to him for the last time on this earth. Two weeks later, my really good friend Orly passed away. He died the day before Thanksgiving. His funeral was set on a Friday. A lot of people were out of town, so I was told by the family just to expect a handful of people. However, when the service started, there was standing room only. People had spilled out into the foyer and hallway. In the, in the middle of the service, as I'm speaking, 
A person stands up and says, I need to say something. He shared how he had come upon tough times and how my friend Orly had helped him. In the course of the next hour, spontaneous testimonies of people were shared. Stories of how God had significantly used him to make a difference in their life. And I thought to myself, yes, Orly, you made a difference. Acts 13.36 says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. Another translation says, David carried out God's purpose while he lived, and then he died. That's my prayer for you. My prayer is that you will serve God on his mission every day in this time. There are so many people in this area who need the good news of Jesus Christ. Who will tell them? Who will fulfill their calling of being sent into the world? God has given you and I the privilege of sharing this great news with others. Now you can respond however you like. You can respond like Moses and say, who, me? When God came to him about fulfilling his mission. You could be like Jonah. Oh, not me. You could be like Habakkuk. Why me? Surely there's somebody better. Or you could say today like Isaiah, send me. Open your eyes. Listen to God. Act in faith. And then finish what God has asked you to do. Don't give up. Amen. Let's pray together. As all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to invite you to just think for a moment. Perhaps as God has been speaking to you this morning, you've realized, hey, I, I need to get back on his mission. I've been sidetracked or distracted. Right where you sit, just pray to him. Say, Lord, I'm getting back on your mission. I'm going to focus once again. Perhaps you're here and maybe you have been tempted to quit or maybe you have quit. Maybe you could say, say to God, God, I'm sorry for stopping. I'm ready to start again. Perhaps as we've been talking this morning, people's names or faces have been coming to mind. I want you to... Right now, pray for them and ask God to use you in a way so that they could hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's just as simple as, God, will you open my eyes? God, will you help me to overcome my fear and act in faith? Maybe it's just, God, help me to listen to you. Whatever it is, tell God right where you sit. Lord Jesus, we love you. We bless you. We pray for your power and presence to be evidence in this place. In the name of Jesus, together we say, amen.